Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Denovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Welcome back, my hopefully not too burnt out listeners. Today, I am talking to Anne Dittmeyer, who is an American designer, creative coach, and explorer who has called Paris home since 2009. She pulls from her experience in graphic design, UX design, design thinking, and storytelling to bring her own unique approach to everything that she does. She never imagined she'd start her own business, but that's how she was able to stay in France and eventually become a citizen, earning her second passport. She started her blog, Preta Voyager, translation, ready to travel, in 2007 as a way to explore the intersection of travel and design. More recently, she's pivoted towards creative entrepreneurship and coaching, sharing stories she learned the hard way on her business blog at andetmeyer.com. Anne, well, happy afternoon to you. It is morning to me, but since <laughs> you are in Paris, we are, we're a little, our time zones are a little bit off. I am so excited to have you on the show. We have so many life parallels and I'm so excited to get into them. So I would love to welcome you to the show as my fellow dual citizenship partner. <laughs> The first one that I have on the show. I'm really excited about that. And so welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And I think what you're doing is amazing. And burnout is a topic that we all need to be discussing because we think everybody has these perfect lives. And, you know, it's something we need to be aware of early. And so I love that you're having these conversations. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really so excited. I, there's something that you wrote in a blog that I'm going to want to read later about what you said just now. But before we jump into that, I'm starting every show by asking my guests to share their burnout story. What happened? What happened in your body? What was going on? And how did you get through it? <laughs> yeah, so I have two ones that are very related. First, um, I had moved to Paris to do a master's in global communications. I'd written my thesis. I was graduating. Everything was great. Uh, I hadn't quite figured out the next chapters of life, but literally the afternoon of my graduation ceremony, I had a horrible migraine, which I hadn't really had before, and a stiff neck. And it was like my whole body like clammed up and... It, it, it shut down. Um, I think a lot of it was not knowing um, what was next for me. And I was starting my own business and I knew nothing about that, but that's another story. And then more established in my business a few years ago, my tongue turned white. It was super strange. Um, anytime I had a tomato or I learned all the acidic foods out there because I couldn't eat anything except for like ice cream. And um like it was so weird because I, I was functioning. I didn't feel like I needed to go to the ER and a, a French colleague said, go to the ER. And the American in me is like, Oh no, no, that's going to cost me hundreds of, of dollars. Um, cost me seven euros um, because this is France. Um, and so the first doctor was this younger guy and he, he's like, Oh, you have this. And he gave me some medicine. And so I'd gone to a couple other doctors before that actually, and it didn't help and it was getting worse and just not getting better. And so stress on top of stress and stress. So finally a doctor gives me some medicine and I'm like, Oh, this is, this is great. Okay. I'm finally doing better and I can mentally relax and you know, my tongue turned normal color again. And then I went to the same emergency room for my follow-up appointment with a, a slightly more established female doctor um, who, you know, she's just older and um, she started asking me questions about stress. And she's like, are you stressed? And I'm like, no, no. And, you know, we get so used to our lives that that's normal and that's how things are. And, you know, we internalize stress as normal. And um, she was asking me more questions because I think she didn't quite believe me. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I was running my own business. I was living in a teeny 16 meter square apartment that's like 169 square feet. 
in Paris. I had student loans. I was, you know, dealing with different things. Um, and then she's asking me more questions about my living situation. And I kind of mumble about my landlord. Um, and she then goes on to give me permission to cut the toxic people out of my life. And that was the best medical advice I've ever had. And so it turned out that this landlord really had been kind of emotionally abusive. And I just accepted the situation because living in France isn't always easy. And as a foreigner, and even for a French person, there are challenges we face. Um, and so I knew I had to get out of that situation, but I needed somebody else to tell me to do that and to give me permission give to get out. Permission. Yeah. Yeah. So that in a nutshell is kind of what I experienced. Um, and I've always been a very healthy person. I haven't had to go in the hospital. I haven't had, you know, my body, you know, um, reject me or like have weird things happened. Um, and so that's kind of the, the, the gist of things. When she said to you, cut toxic people out of your life, was your initial reaction relief? Because today when you tell the story, the, the emotion behind it was relief. You got this permission, you were able to do this thing and you were told that it's not okay to be treated that way. So there's some relief in that. And that's, that seems to be the reaction that you have now with perspective. But when she told you that initially, did, did you think she was crazy? Like what, what was your reaction then? Do you remember? I think it was a bit of surprise, but I do feel like it was an aha moment because again, you expect a doctor to give you medicine and, you know, fix the problem. Like here's, you have a problem, here's a medicine, here's how you fix it. But there are all these alternative ways um, to fix things. And that's what your work does too, I think. Um, and so it was the surprise and it was the complete opposite of what I expected. So I think because it was opposite of what I expected, um, it was eye-opening. And then it was kind of like, oh yeah, this guy is kind of a jerk. Like he's a nice enough guy at the surface, but like I had accidentally like, paid my rent twice because his now deceased wife's bank account had reopened. And he's like, it's not a big deal. Like you paid rent twice. And I was like, yeah, it is. Like I want my money back. And so he made things like nonchalant. He wasn't evil or mean or awful in a typical way, but it just wore me down. Um, and so I think she was able to give me a new perspective. And it was a couple days later that I put on Facebook being like, hey, I need to move. Does anybody know another an apartment? So it inspired me to like make a change. I had realized there were, you know, potentially a couple other um, toxic people in my life that I did not have the option to cut out. But this this one was the most trying and wearing on me. Right. And now, because of that experience, do you find yourself having an easier time moving away from relationships like that when you initially meet people? Like, is it an easier thing for you to spot? Yes, I'm super aware of it. And I, I try to tell the story, um, even in like non-business context, because I love saying how affordable healthcare was too. But um, it's so obvious and so in front of us, but we just start to accept these situations of, in French, you say, c'est comme ça, like that's mm -hmm. how it is, but it doesn't have to be like that. Um, and so I think it was a really important lesson for me and, um, I wish I didn't have to learn it, but I'm glad I learned it when I did. I can carry it forward. And, you know, in my own coaching practice, it's giving people permission to think differently and, you know, realize that, you know, there are different ways of doing things. And if there's a, if there's a toxic situation, like, you know, how can you get out of it? Well, first, before you even decide how to get out of it, how do you recognize it? Um, I mean, this was actually my body reacting and it was physically exhibiting itself, but I'm almost positive at the time that anytime I received an email or a call, like my body would tense up in yes. the moment. So there were these clues. And I recently um, was in a retreat down in Avignon and I learned about the field of somatics, S-O-M-A-T-I-C-S, which I had never heard that word before. Yeah, and it incredible. had that our bodies are giving us clues. And I'm like, how have I not like, encountered this earlier in life? And, um, you know, when you run a business, your life is interwoven with it. Um, but I know there were lots of clues that I ignored and just 
assumed I had to deal with it. And I French, like I said, French bureaucracy is real. You have to, you know, finding an apartment is really hard. So sometimes dealing with something is harder than just accepting the not so great status quo. Um, but I think sometimes we have to like grow some balls and just be like, okay, I can't take this anymore. I need to make a change. And often it means something drastic happens to us. Um, but I think we need to consider how we can think earlier, how we can take the steps to, to get out of these toxic situations. Right. But for, so for people listening, when I hear that your tongue turned white, I'm thinking it's like the code, not your actual, the body of your tongue, but the coating on top. Yes. Is that right? Yes. So in Chinese medicine, this would have been an easy thing for me to treat. And I would have known right away that there was something worrying you because it's related to something that we call spleen chi energy. And that would have been like, just pretty obvious to me when, when I saw it. So I can make those connections because I have a background knowledge that allows me to do that. But for most of the people listening, I'm going to guess that hearing, oh, her tongue was white, so she got rid of her landlord sounds nuts. Yes. Right? So let's go into those somatics a little bit. One, one thing that you just said that I think was really important was every time you got an email or a phone call, your body would tense up. That's a huge cue, right? That something oh, is not quite right. Exactly. And it, and it is a cue that um, for client work or client projects, I mean, a few weeks ago, I received an email from a client and I literally stomped my foot and <laughs> turned like, you know, my body took over and rage. I was like, this is a sign that I probably shouldn't take this job. And I feel like we get sucked into doing it. But um you know, it, it's, a, it's about the gut, but it's not just the gut. It is, you know, we, we do have these visceral reactions um, and that, that tension and just noticing the difference. And I'm a really easygoing person. Um, I go with the flow. And so um, even when you go with the flow, there are these little signs that creep in and it's about learning to listen to them, I think. Right. And one of the things that I focus on a lot in my practice in my acupuncture practice and also my coaching practice is teaching people not to cross over their own inner boundaries because my belief is that some people just are toxic it just <laughs> they just are and they need to be eliminated as much as possible from your life but i think that that idea has been a little bit overdone and we've lost the ability to have difficult, uncomfortable conversations that sometimes we need to have. Sometimes we're having that reaction to someone because we've given them more than they've asked for and we feel resentful that they're not, you know, responding in the way that we expect them to. Yeah. I mean, and for me, it was a power play. Like it's hard to find a plant, uh, an apartment in Paris. Like I pay him rent. I felt like, you know, I'm the subservient person and he has the power. And I think this goes for work situations. So many people are afraid to speak up in a workplace because it will make them look weak or they need their job or they're afraid they'll get fired. And a lot of it was in my head, just projecting that. Right. Um, but you know, the context makes a lot of difference and to really be able to like step back and break it down. Like it doesn't happen naturally and it's not something we're taught. Um, and for the medicine thing, I never knew there were alternative approaches at all. And I think it's right. really interesting. And I love that it's coming into conversation. Yeah, me too. And so how would you today, and I'm not asking you as, you know, a, a somatics expert or anything like that, just as a, just as a regular person running a business, living a life, how would you today recognize the difference between a toxic person who is really you, you can't do anything to really make it better. And a person that you're having a difficulty with that could possibly be cleared up if you could have a difficult conversation with them. Like who do you cut out and who do you try? Um, that's a good question. I know. Um, <laughs> I think, I think we project a lot and we're afraid to do things. And so I think with my landlord, I had gone to his apartment and spoke with him a few times. So I actually like took the steps to make an effort right. and it kept not getting better. So right. it's not like the first time somebody does something wrong, you're like, you're out of my life. <laughs> it's not that at all. Um, but I mean, I do think a lot of things can be cleared up and I think not being afraid to have those conversations. So I think 
the older I get and the more experiences I live and just have, I think I'm more willing to have those, the, those conversations and bring it up. I feel like for a lot of people, it's a lack of awareness. Um, and, you know, we never want to accuse somebody, but um, I think, you know, taking it out of ourself and just being like, oh, you know, just, just making sure everybody understands this. learning to stand up for yourself and that, you know, a lot of people do it all the time and they're just fierce, but it can be scary for everybody. Um, but taking steps forward, I think the worst thing you can do is just sit there and just wait for things to change because it's either going to stay the same or more likely get worse. Yeah. Let, let thing, letting things simmer. So I think that that's a really important point. So the, the options are something happens in your life and you should make an effort, even if it's uncomfortable to see if you can fix it. And if you make a concerted effort and you repeat that effort and there is no shift from the other side, even though you are making an effort and you're putting it out there and there's no shift, then then it, there becomes a time where that just needs to end. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I knew I needed to leave this apartment anyway, cause it was too small. Like I needed more physical space to grow personally and to grow my business. And so again, I, it was figuring it out and I, there were so many other factors that I, I did need to go through all the steps and try to make it work and just keep on keeping on. Um, Cause I knew I was saving money and being able to pay off my loans by staying there. Um, but sometimes um, it is just going through the motions and actually having these experiences to be like, no, I really need a change. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's really interesting about this. So, the part of your diagnosis in Chinese medicine at the time would have been spleen chi deficiency, which would be, would have been related to bloating, um, maybe some diarrhea type symptoms or like loose stools, uh, some, a feeling of heaviness in the body, maybe some general water retention, things like that. And you wrote in your blog post about this, that after my tongue got better, I noticed I had a lot more digestive issues as much as I didn't want to admit it. It was linked to stress. What else was going on? So I, I there, there might have been some time between these things, but I think the then the digestive issues um, were the next version of a toxic situation um, with a boss um, and a place. And I thought it was the water. I didn't know, but um, I just felt super gassy and bloated all the time. And so it was my body giving me signs um, that, you know, to think about another situation too, to, you know, that I eventually left that as well. Um, but it's hard to leave. It's hard to change. You know, I have to support, I support myself, pay my rent, run my own business. So there's, there's not this cushion. Um, but I think it was another body telling me like, this is not the best situation for you. You know, um, I, I have a feeling at some point I, my hair started to fall out and, you know, I was shedding a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are just these, these situations that, that they feel normal. It's, again, the toxic side of things wasn't somebody hitting me or um, anything that was overtly awful. Like with the landlord, I, I, once I read an article about emotional abusiveness and I was like, oh my God, that's, that speaks to him. Nice enough situation, nice enough guy, but it's just, you know, these, these things that chip away at you over time. Yeah. And one, something that's come up quite a bit in some of the other conversations where this question of whether or not something is bad enough, like you just said, it wasn't overtly abusive. And I think this is something that people, a lot of people are getting caught up in because we're taught to look at other people and say, well, my situation isn't that bad because somebody else has it worse. So yeah. you ignore your own stress signals and what's going on in your body because other people have more difficult problems than you have in your estimation, right? Yeah. And we get stuck in this, you know, well, it's not that bad. Yeah, no, and I have perspective because I'm like, I knew the apartment I lived in before that and I knew how hard it was to find it and all these things. And so we're, we're really good at getting in our heads and justifying things. And, you know, it was reality and I wasn't, you know, super naive to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to find this amazing apartment that's super cheap and stuff like that. So I think I knew the reality of it. 
Um, but you know, I just kind of was like, well, no, I need to stay. I need to do this. I should do this. I think we get into the should mode, um, instead of really considering like what can really make us thrive and what can make us better at what we do and just better people in general. Yeah, I totally agree. And another thing that I wanted to talk to you about, you said you went to a retreat on somatics and for people who don't know what that is in general, there's in pretty much every type of alternative medicine, there is an understanding that the body and mind are communicating with one another all day, every day, nonstop. And we know even in the Western world where some of these methods are not as popular, we know that when there's something going on in the mind, something can be going on in the body. But what we don't talk about is a word that I use often with my patients is somatopsychic. So we talk about psychosomatic problems, right? Something's happening in our life, there's an issue in our life, and and it creates a problem in our bodies. It is generally understood and accepted that that happens. But what we're not talking about is the opposite, which I call somatopsychic, right? It's something happening in the body that is letting us know that something is happening in the mind, that there's an issue happening in our lives, that there's a toxic person, that there's a situation that needs to change, that there's some negative self-talk happening that needs to shift. You know, so you went to this retreat. What did you learn there? So this retreat is it's kind of a new style, and it's not even – retreat isn't even the right word, but it's a uh, starting place. But it's called Antakara, which means frontier um, in Sanskrit. Um, and – so much about this was about exploration and exploring ourself and place and getting out. And the simple act of going for a walk um, can give us so much clarity and unplugging. And when you walk and you explore, there's synapses going off in your brain. And so um, one of the facilitators does body work and somatics and he was there. And so often before we'd go off on an exploration with a prompt, um, he'd have us close our eyes and listen in to our, you know, how we had, felt in, you know, our, our throat, our chest, um, and I'm not sure, maybe our legs or something like that, and just to tune in. And so what we were doing while we were exploring was very simple and very basic, but we all had these incredible breakthroughs um, just because it took us out of our everyday and out of our worlds. And um, for me, again, learning that I can tune into my body. And I was so relaxed there. I was like, whoa, you know, and so coming back, I was like, I want to keep this piece. I don't want to inject the stress that I had before. And I need to make sure I take time to disconnect and to go for a walk. And that means sometimes not listening to a podcast or music when I walk. Um, so it, it was this really wonderful permission just to 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 go and explore and that simple act of walking um can give us a lot of clues right what kind of prompt would you get before a walk um like once we closed our eyes and he was like you know listening to to the birds and the sounds and um walking through um the steps and kind of starting to put us in the place that where we're going to be going and to, to open our senses um, to different things because we, we close off our senses a lot of time and we're so glued to our phones that we're not fully using our capabilities and we ignore them all the time. Um, so in the process, he's also encouraging us not to start our days with our phone. And it's crazy, but I needed somebody to help train me to do that. And it's totally changed the way I work, but um, it's, it's, it's opening yourself up to other possibilities. Um, and, and ways of seeing, seeing and paying attention. Yeah, ways of feeling your body. This is one of the things that I love to do when I'm walking with my dog is give myself a sort of prompt to be like, okay, be here. It's so easy to just think of something and say, oh, I'll just look that up really quick. And then all of a sudden, 15 minutes have passed and you've been looking at your phone the whole time. Meanwhile, I could be walking through the forest with my dog. So I do make an effort to do that in my personal life, to stop and say, okay, one of the things that is really helpful for me personally is to focus on my feet as I walk. Am I using the full motion of my foot as I'm walking? Can I feel the things through my sneaker underneath my foot? Can I pay attention to the things that are happening? Just 
And having that one body, body part to focus on really makes a big difference for me because that focus is, I think, the thing that is missing. Yeah. We don't have the time to focus anymore. And, and something that you said about burnout that sort of works toward focus is social media also hasn't helped as it seemingly rewards those who never pause to take a break. Behind the scenes, they're burning the candle at both ends, but instead, society and algorithms reward more is better. Quantity over quality. It's dangerous, particularly when the reality is rarely shared, so everyone else lives with a complex that they're not doing enough. How do you focus when you always feel like you're not doing enough? I mean, it's impossible because there's so many pots in the fire. Yeah, and I'm somebody who wears many hats and combines things in creative ways, but I make sure I under-schedule my time um, and I don't have to fill every minute. And full-time jobs stress me out seeing people in it and they have a meeting scheduled every half hour. And I think we need to make sure we have time for percolation and processing and for things to go wrong. And it's also so important for me to have conversations with people in real life. And that can still be over the phone or um, a call through my computer. But I think we are very good at projecting what somebody else's life is. And often, you know, people are sharing something and the story they're not trying to, sometimes they're trying to cover it up, but sometimes it's just not the angle they're trying to share something with. And there's always more to the story and we have to keep reminding ourselves that of that. And, you know, social media is all about likes and, you know, I had to remind myself, remind myself, it's not about the likes. Um, And so for me, everything comes back to the human component and connecting with people um, and checking in with ourselves um, and what we really want out of a situation because what society might project or suggest that we want, that doesn't have to be the reality for ourselves. Yeah. And this is, this goes directly into the next thing that we uh, should talk about today. And it was one of the things that when you, when I initially asked people to be on the podcast and you wrote to me, I thought, oh, good. We have a lot to talk about because these societal expectations are different in different places. And both of us have lived both in Europe and the United States and have had very different experiences in those things. So I would love for you to talk about the blog post that you wrote a little bit about what being living in France taught you about burning out. Yeah, so um, France and work culture is is a bit different. In France, you do one thing, you're super focused. So I I never fit into the bubble. Um, But um, back in, after I finished university, I worked as an English teaching assistant in France. And Um, I worked 12 hours a week and had two weeks of vacation every six weeks. So early on, I had this experience that kind of planted a seed in my head. Um, How anybody gets anything done is is still a mystery. Um, But in general, um, French, there are a lot of holidays in the month of May. There are three holidays. There's a phrase that says, faire le pont. Pont means bridge. So it's to make the bridge. So you can take very few days off and have a, a ton of long weekends in that month. And then you tend to have five to nine weeks of vacation a year. And years ago, I was a nanny for a French family. And I was still freelancing and writing for design blog and doing my own stuff on the side. And they did not understand that I needed internet or had things to do because they completely unplugged. And so as an American, I still have that like workaholic, like the more you work, the better you are, like hustle culture. And it took me like I say at least nine years for me to fully start to unwind that. A lot of it is that I was starting my own business and I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Um, And so this experience of seeing how other people live and having those breaks. And so, um, you know, it's not quite the workaholic culture here, although I do see it creeping in with startups and, you know, some of these big companies, but holidays and vacation um, and breaks will always be instrumental. And there's even something called RTT, which essentially translates to required time off. So I had a friend who worked in PR in Cannes for the film festival. And because she was working like all day, every day, by law, she was required to take time off. 
So I think it's a little bit built in that even if they're in times of intensity, there are these breaks. And I'm used to, you know, during the break going and seeing and everything and doing cultural things and go to the museums. But I would say a lot of French people like you go to a country home, you rent a house, you invite your friends, you make great meals and have some wine. So it, it's a very much more of a downtime culture. Um, and it, it took me a long time to embrace that. And I do have much better working hours, like, you know, during the day, I try not to work evenings and I take weekends and I take more time off, but I kind of needed the permission. I had to give myself permission to do that and be okay. Not bragging about working all the time. Yeah. Yeah. This was, um, so I lived in, I spent six years in Poland and six years in the Czech Republic and the kind of basis around Europe is about five weeks of vacation a year. 20, 24 days, I think is the minimum that you can offer in most countries. So I got all of a sudden used to having these 24, 25 days off a year. Meanwhile, I always worked for myself so I could take whatever vacation I wanted. But what was interesting to me was that being in Prague, I could leave for two weeks and the people that I was treating, the people that I was seeing would say, oh, have a great time. But the Polish culture is very, very hardworking and very, very competitive. So I would be leaving for two weeks. And while that is an acceptable thing to do and everyone takes two weeks vacations in the country, if not longer, it's a normal, normal thing to do. I would have patients irritated with me for not being available to them all the time. So I had this weird, I showed up, I learned that people have all this vacation built in. And I was like, that's amazing. My husband has always worked a corporate job and he's never had less than 25 days off a year. That's five full weeks in addition to holidays. And like you said, in Europe, not just in France, but in other places, it's also very common to do those bridge holidays. So if you have a Wednesday off, everybody's taking Thursday and Friday or Monday and, and Tuesday to make it a longer, uh, longer time off. And I was stuck between this. I had just finished graduate school. I still had this very American style of functioning. I had this very competitive culture that I just moved it into. And I was supposed to be taking two week vacations. And those vacations felt like pressure to me at the time. So I had to really dig through all my own bullshit really about these issues so that I could go away calmly without being stressed out about what my patients were thinking about what I was doing while I was gone. And this was one of the reasons that I burned out the first time. <laughs> yeah, I had so much to unlearn. And yeah. ultimately, I realized I was projecting yeah. what other people thought um, and feeling like, oh, I'm not good enough if I'm not working. Yep. But I've kind of learned that work looks different um, and so for me, like yesterday, preparing for this podcast, I went for a walk around my neighborhood, a walk through a cemetery, and I'm like, listening to you in my ear. And, you know, that was still working, but it was so enjoyable. And I think we think work has to be so serious. And it needs to look a certain way. And it doesn't. And by me stepping away from my computer, I do my job so much better. Yeah. And it, it's crazy to me. So um I do coaching myself and I try to always communicate with my clients and there's enough flexibility where, you know, there's this buffer. I, the coach I hired is based in the UK and she takes 18 weeks off a year. Yeah. And in a way, like that was the superpower that made me want to work with her because she is very successful at what she does, but she also knows how to step back. She does have a chronic illness, so that's an impact. But so many people would see that as a crutch, but for her, it was an asset. And right. so, so much is projected by society, and we see everybody else around us. But I started to learn that I actually do my job better by working less um, because I can really use a lot of that time to like learn more and keep enriching what I know. And it benefits all my clients because I'm able to really hold space for them and give them attention and share what I've learned. So there was a huge rewiring of myself um, and, you know, changing the conversation about work and workaholism. Yeah. This is once I moved from Poland to the Czech Republic, 
that became much, much easier for me. The Czech culture is much more relaxed. There's not as much competition. There's a lot of vacation. The past five years, I've taken at least 12 weeks of vacation a year. And that was fine. Now I'm moving back into the American culture and I have to really take the time to sit with myself and untangle again the things I thought I had sort of gotten through that jump back into your body so easily when you reimmerse yourself in the place that they came from. Oh, totally. And I mean, I say that I have a portfolio career, so I have all sorts of different projects going at different times that form the puzzle, the pie of what I do. Um, and so the circumstances can change and I can get sucked in. Um, and then you hear all these stories about people working all the time or like, oh, like, you know, I only work a 60 hour a week work week. And I have to keep reminding me why I'm in what I'm doing for myself. And for me, I would rather work less than work more and have happiness and have this balance. And it's more about this harmony and, you know, proving that there are other ways of doing it. And there's not only one way to approach work and, you know, work came out of the industrial revolution. And, yeah. you know, just because these processes have happened for so long, it doesn't mean it's how it should continue. And we have so much information coming at us in all directions and from social media. And so for me, for social media, I use it as a research tool and I use it as a way to connect with people. And it's not about the likes, but oftentimes I'll write posts on my blog and it's to help others, but it's a really a reminder to myself as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think all of my work is a constant reminder to myself. When I started writing the burnout book, I I was stopping and saying, well, what do I need right now? What do I need right now? And I still have to remind myself of these things. One of the things that I've noticed that most of the people that I've spoken to have said is once you've experienced burnout and you know the things that chronic stress does in your particular body, because just like you mentioned, every single person will experience it differently. So it can be hard to recognize because for you, it's digestive issues. For someone else, it's headaches. For someone else, it's, you know, arthritis. I mean, everybody is different. And we don't recognize that it's happening and we're not paying attention to it. And for every single person, it's different. And I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, we're, we're, it's, I mean, there's, it's all embedded and like, it's just, we're, we're doing all these things and because it exhibits itself in different ways, we don't always see it. And I think oftentimes people are waiting for that signal of this is burnout. It has arrived. I need to slow down instead of paying attention to the early signs and adjusting early on. And right. like oftentimes burnout is invisible. And that was like, whoa, you know, for me, it didn't have these physical reactions, but it's, it's not, you know, a poster that appears in front of me that says you are burned out. And right. often I see it in other people far before, or they see um, it with themselves. And recently I was talking to a lawyer friend and she said she had just discovered this thing called burnout and she spent two hours looking at YouTube videos. And so for me, I could, I, ever since the day I met her, I could see that she's burned out and, you know, burning the candle at both ends. And in addition to lawyering has her own creative endeavors that are fantastic, but that's only sustainable for so long. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. So what are you doing these days? for burnout or for work? <laughs> for all of it. <laughs> um, so I have started a morning practice um, and I am not a natural morning person. In the US, I'm a morning person. In France, I'm a night owl. I have a morning practice where I get up at seven and um, I do my best to not look at my phone and I go straight to my computer and I start writing. And I realize it's totally changed my day. Um, and I am able to share these ideas, articulate them, and it just gets me focused for the rest of my day. So if I stop working at four, it's not a big deal because I got up and wrote a blog post at seven in the morning. And honestly, I, once I get started, getting started is the hardest part. Once I'm started, I don't want to stop. And so I had to learn to unsnooze because I was snoozing all the time. So I have a rule where I don't snooze. Um, weekdays, I don't look at my phone um, when I'm in bed. My feet have to be on the ground if I'm looking at my phone. Um, but anyway, so I, I kind of focus my day so I have a really nice start to my day and I'll have my tea 
and work on it. And then I'm able to continue because I know that in the afternoons, I might not be as focused. And so I have coaching calls throughout the week. And so I'll, you know, focus my time so I can really bring my game and be focused on them instead of my own thing. So um, just making sure that I'm prioritizing what I really want to be doing. Um, I'd pivoted my business a couple times in the past few years. Um, and so in order to get where I want to be, I need to like really intent, be intentional about how I spend my time and energy and not getting sucked into these other things. Um, and, you know, finding, finding that balance that works for me. So, um, it might be listening to a podcast during the commute, um, but finding inspiration in different places and, you know, giving myself to be permission to be curious and to keep learning, um, and to have conversations with other people and other professionals. Um, so I realize it's not just me who's gone through this and to, to learn from other people's experiences and stories is essential. Yeah. And this is something that's come up a lot. So the, three of the things that you said were are really important. One of the things is the time of work. And if your best time is to get up and get cranking in the morning so that you get into a rhythm, it's wonderful. And there's so many people that I've talked to that say that they know that they're on, for instance, a three-month schedule, that they can work really hard for three months and then they have like a down you know, down phase for three months and then they work really hard for three months and that's what works for them. And you do in the morning and I have, you know, recording days and coaching call days, Tuesdays and Thursdays so that I can focus on those days on doing that thing. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday is mostly writing and doing planning content and things like that. And so finding the rhythm with which you work, one of the things that I use for this is I, I follow my cycle, right? So during my most creative phases, I'm doing more creative things and I'm trying to plan meetings around the time that I'm more likely to connect well with people and things like that. So that's something that I use in my life, but everybody's got a rhythm that works for them and finding it is one of the key things to avoiding burnout. Another thing you said is, in, you didn't use this word, but having a community, having connections to people, having people support you, having people to talk to that have been through similar things so that you don't feel like you're alone. And in this online world that we live in currently, we really have to make an effort to create this thing. It's not always so obvious to have it. We really have to try to create the community of people that we need. And something we spoke about earlier was um, proper communication and proper boundaries. So these are the constant things that are coming up with everyone that I speak to about how they are dealing with burnout now and how they keep it away from their lives. And I think that it's fascinating that it keeps coming out in that way. Yeah. And I love podcasts because I mean, even where you're talking about your creative cycles, I know so many people have never even considered that, or I'm around a lot of entrepreneurs and around a lot of designers. So I'm in this bubble and I think that everybody thinks like me and that is not the case at all. And then you have like people fresh in their careers who are just starting out and more established and everybody can keep learning from everybody. Yeah. And in everything I do, I kind of push the status quo or, you know, ask questions if it's like, again, just because it's always done that way, is that the best way? And I think it's really about paying attention and listening and being open to trying new things. Yeah. Um, and these changes were not overnight. I'd done a deep writing workshop and the facilitator said, He's like, you're going to resist. You're not going to want to do this morning practice. Um, and then one of the other participants, she shared her story. It was her second time doing this um, workshop. And she said, I resisted so hard, but she's like, it has completely changed my life. So when you hear these quote success stories of somebody else also like not coming naturally for them, but trying something and being open to try it. I mean, for me, her little, you know, couple sentences totally changed my mindset and I'm not perfect. I don't write every day. And right. I'm also forgiving on that. Um, but I just know that it really does change my, my rhythm and it, it sets me up for a more successful day. And I just feel really awesome when I'm able to do that. And so really tuning in um, to when that's happening. Because when I was feeling most burned out, I was just, you know, multitasking, trying to do everything at once you know, doing everything and I wasn't doing everything right. And now when I'm in something, I'm just focused on that. And 
Um, I still triangulate everything. I call it swarming, where I'm working on different pieces to make it come together. But again, there are these different processes and different approaches. And then still we talk, start ta having these conversations and talking to other people. Um, we're not fully aware of the possibilities. And I love looking outside of my industries and learning from other industries and other working styles um, because there's, there's so much to learn and we can find inspiration and we don't have to take the whole idea. We can pick and choose um, and integrate into our own style and what works for us and what works for me. I'm not saying you have to do this, right. um, but, you know, considering other possibilities. Well, I think what you said earlier, like questioning this sikomsa, like questioning this, it is what it is, is really important. And there's a story that I love about this. Do you know the story about the um, three generations and the roast, the pot Ooh. roast? No, I don't. Do tell. There was a little girl watching her mother prepare Sunday roast. And the mother took a big chuck roast and cut off both ends of the chuck roast before she started browning it to put it in the pan. And the daughter said, well, mom, why do you cut off the ends of the roast? And her mother looked at her and said, well, that's how my mother did it. And there were her mother and her grandmother. So it was four generations of women in the room. So the mother turned to the grandmother and said, well, why did you cut the ends off the roast? And the grandmother said, I don't know. That's what my mother did. And she said, mom, why did you cut the ends off the roast? And the great grandmother stopped and she said, I didn't have a big enough pan. <laughs> yeah. So are we doing things because they actually need to be done? Or are we just repeating things because we don't have the wherewithal to stop and look and say, well, are these bits necessary? Do I have to go through this extra piece? Do we have to do this extra step? We might not anymore. Things are changing so fast. And there's so many different ways to do things. And there's so many people that are doing things differently that we need to stop and ask ourselves. I was, I just decided to change things up on my Instagram a few weeks ago. And I had had a conversation with someone who's a gen an Instagram genius. And when I, I found myself telling her that I just wanted it to be easier for me. And then when I got off the phone, I said, I'm about to pay this person thousands of dollars when I could literally stop and ask myself, how could this be easier? How, yeah. why, why am I making this more difficult than it needs to be? I was posting an alternating schedule. So I was posting a white picture with words and then a white block box with words and then a picture. And I had to remember the white box with words was automatically scheduled. And the picture I was putting up just randomly of whatever I was doing that day. And I realized that putting, remembering to put up that picture in order to maintain my grid <laughs> was totally stressing me out. And I hadn't even asked myself about it. But every like you said earlier, you got a phone call or an email and your body would tense up. I would shoot out of my couch at 730 at night and say, Oh, my God, did I I'm about to have another scheduled post? Did I put up a picture today? Like I was super stressed out about it. What a waste of energy. Yeah, these these little things can add up. And I think that's what we forget in society. Because sometimes we think, or should be doing these big things, but it's the little things that add yeah. like pressure on us and we don't see them because they're invisible. Um, and then on the flip side, I think often we want just like the answer to come to us. And yeah. like, if we're patient, it will happen, but that's not how it works. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I want to pay somebody to, to tell me the answers. And that's also not how it works. Um, but being open to having support and help and conversations and, for me, even having a coach for myself has totally opened my eyes. And, you know, a lot of it is me figuring things out for myself, but it would take an eternity for me to do it on my own. Um, and so it can be a friend, it can be a professional. There's, there's so many different approaches. Um, and again, I think the triangulation and being open to different things, um, you know, and the first thing is we have to know it even exists and we have to know that burnout is there too. Um, and being more proactive um, instead of just being reactive to, to being completely fried, um, but being proactive and kind of checking in with yourself and realizing like, Oh yeah, I was, my body was tense. I was really stressed there. Um, and it's a gradual process. And I think we want things to happen overnight and to be instantaneous. And that's what social media is. And that's what society shows us. Um, but it's a long game and it's a 
you know, constant work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is an amazing conversation. I just want to sum up some of the things that we asked people to check in with today, because there's some really actionable things that you mentioned that I think that we should really drive home. So if you're listening to this podcast and you think that you're pushing it in a couple of different areas and you want a couple of easy questions to get you through, the things that Anne is mentioning, she's saying, check in with your body. Right? Make sure that you're not tensing when you get an email from the same person every time. Check in with the word should. We get into something that Anne mentioned earlier. She said we get into should mode, that we should do this, should do that, should, should, should. Check in with how many times you're saying that a day and if it's keeping you stuck in a mode that's not really working for you. And then check in with the sekumsa, the it is how it is. Is it how it is? Does it need to be how it is? Are you doing it just because you're repeating something or are you doing it because it's best practice for you? So I think those would be the three questions that really are your big actionable takeaways from the conversation that Anne and I had today. Anne, do you have anything else that you would add to that before we finish up? My two additions are, don't feel like you have to schedule every minute of your time. Yep. And even if you think your best friend is or your boss is, Bosses, think about how you're modeling for your team. Um, I respect when people work less and learn how to take care of themselves. And the other thing is just go for a walk. Step outside, step away from your computer. Um, it is life-changing and it is free. Um, and you start to see different things. And that's where the ideas happen. For me, I joke that my best ideas happen when I'm in the swimming pool or when I'm walking and specifically making a connection in the metro in Paris um, because I'm physically making connections. So start to tune in to like where your ideas are coming from. It took me a long time to learn. It was not from sitting in front of my computer um, and, and embrace that and really yeah, keep tuning in with yourself and what works for you. Awesome, awesome, awesome advice. And thank you so much for being here, everybody. You can find Anne at her blog at anditmeyer.com. That's her business blog. You can also find her at Navigate Paris Online, which is an amazing tool that she's created that I think you should all just go check out. I don't even want to tell you what it is because I want to leave you in suspense because it's fantastic. And I will include all of the information about Anne and where you can find her in the show notes. So everybody, a big, big, big thank you to Anne for being here and sharing her experience and her knowledge. We loved it. And we will talk to you all soon. Thank you.